What's up, everybody? Welcome to another edition of the DC Sports Huddle. It is sponsored by MGM National Harbor. For the latest in Washington sports, visit MGM National Harbor and experience a sports fan's paradise. I am Rob Woodfork wearing a stylish sweater. George Wallace is perpetually late. And the man continuing the years-long tradition of WTOP morning sports anchors testing the bounds of the human body's need for sleep, the king of the tri-corner hat, Dave Preston. Now, uh, how did we get that big of intro? Because yeah. I wrote it down and oh. uh, and I needed to use it. Uh, so we're starting with the uh, ongoing search, and it feels like it's been going on forever. The uh, ongoing commander search for the offensive coordinator vacancy. The uh, uh, Kansas City Chiefs celebrating their second Super Bowl title in four years. They had the big uh, confetti. They had the big. Uh, parade through the streets of Kansas city. And now their offensive coordinator is coming to Washington for what is uh, basically a lateral move, even though he should be a head coach in the NFL, probably about five years in uh, we will discuss that a uh, little bit uh, further into the show, but uh, in the immediacy, we are uh, talking about the fits for uh, Eric, the enemy as he is uh as of this recording, he is talking to the Washington Commanders about that offensive coordinator vacancy out in Ashburn. Now, uh, George Wallace, we've been waiting a while for this, and obviously Washington has been waiting a while for this because they've basically held up this search so that they could talk to Eric Bieniemy yeah. after the Super Bowl. So with that in mind, I mean, you got to think that he's the guy, right? Maybe Ron Rivera is hoping that, yeah, I mean, because he's waited all this time. This is the eighth candidate to interview for the spot. Uh, they did talk to Greg Roman this week. I don't know why that took so long. He's been out of, with the Ravens for a few weeks now. Uh, what all of a sudden uh, did that? Why all of a sudden did that transpire? Maybe figuring Bianami wasn't going to be a shot. So they had to see what they had. Maybe in Greg Roman. I still think it's going to be somebody like Pat Shermer, who's just kind of like you know they got to fill the spot. And nobody's going to really want it. You know, for Bianami, he let his contract expire in Kansas City, so he doesn't really have that right now. Uh, and Andy Reid saying how he should be able to run his own show as an offense, but. Again, and I'll say it like I've said it before, why would you want to hitch your wagon to this situation right now? You don't know what's going on. There's a lot up in the air. You could Your head coach could be blown out in two months or before you know, camp starts if you get um, – if this ownership situation goes down. Now, maybe you do take it thinking that this could be a shot to be a head coach if that does happen. Maybe that's the case. So for Biennemi, he hasn't really – I mean, you know, Andy Reid was calling the – you know, more hands-on with the offense in Kansas City than Ron Rivera is here. So by that, when he says he should be able to run his own show, that's what this means. Maybe come in and get your whole imprint on the offense, of course, with Ron Rivera right there, but you kind of link to a defensive coach and maybe have your input that way. So we'll see. Deep down, I just don't know if he takes it. I, I don't. There's too much up in the air for me here to take that, especially if – you, you know, you still want to be a head coach. Now, maybe, look, you're done in Kansas City. You've done what you can do, and you want to just change the scenery. I'm fine with that. But to go from leaving, you know, five straight AFC championship games with Patrick Mahomes twice in four years to come here, I mean, you know, let's go like this. <laughs> and actually, you know what? And uh, Dave Preston has uh, actually made this point a few times on here. Uh, comparing it to when Marvin Lewis came here once upon a time. Because remember, when he came to Washington, this was after that great 2000 Ravens defense. He didn't get hired in Cincinnati right after that, as he probably should have. 
he ended up having a year here in Washington where, yeah, you you build the resume up a little more and uh, and show teams what uh, what you're able to do with uh, with less, you know, because they did have a couple of future Hall of Famers on that Ravens defense. He comes here with less and uh, still has a productive unit. And uh, that was a team that, if I recall correctly, I think finished seven and nine that year. Right. How but, long uh, after was it? It was the year after they, well, yeah. not the year after. So they, so they won the Super Bowl. He stayed another year, 2001. I think it was the first year of Spurrier 02 where Marvin Lewis came here. And so, I mean, that, that it's not an apples to apples comparison. Yeah. But I think Dave made the, made the point that, the, that, you know, maybe you do have to uh, lay over somewhere. And here's the thing. The thing that drives me crazy about this whole discussion is that play calling is so utterly unimportant a skill set for a head coach in the NFL. I don't know why people keep talking about it. That's important for a coordinator. That is not important for a head coach. Yeah, so but some head coaches that's like what to do it, it takes yeah. for him to get on people's radars, then yes, Washington is a good place because you're you will have autonomy right. on that offense. And so, uh, and if you turn water into wine, hey, let's just, it's not even going to be a Super Bowl scenario. Let's say he comes here. He's the offensive coordinator. Sam Howell is good, but not great. They stun everybody and win the NFC East for whatever crazy reason. And then they actually mess around and win a playoff game. You just, and then flame out in the (laughs) divisional round, like Mm. you've seen them do a million times before. So even that is just such a drastic (laughs) improvement over what this team has been for the last 15 years. That has to put him on people's radars. And and I think that's kind of what happened with Marvin Lewis, Dave, is that he came here. They they weren't any great shakes, but they were like, okay, he did more with less there. Maybe this guy's a head coach. Except there's one thing I guarantee you that Ron Rivera will at least know some of the guys on the offensive side of the ball, unlike Steve Spurrier, who didn't know who was who for half of that roster. This And think I've thought of other uh, offensive assistants who have had to go elsewhere before getting their head coaching job after being really uh, – after shining in their role. And I think of the Hall of Famer Bill Walsh, who was stuck – uh, behind Paul Brown at Cincinnati, didn't get the head coaching job, wound up going to the Chargers when they were a cesspool before Dan Fouts became Dan Fouts and really rescued almost the career of Dan Fouts, got him on the right track to where a few years later under Don Coriel, Fouts was able to you know continue the road to becoming a Hall of Famer. And that's is that what Eric Bieniemy has to do? Because he, he hasn't just been the offensive coordinator for a very successful offense, but a championship team, a, a team that has contended, you know, five straight, not, not just five straight division titles, but five straight trips to the AFC championship game where they have hosted the AFC championship game. So I think it gives him an opportunity to come here. And as you mentioned, see what he can do, see if he can put a shine to the dull apple that is the Washington offense. And he, there, he will have, personnel here that he can take advantage of i like the wide receiver group he doesn't have a tight end to really work with but he's got some backs that he can throw to jd mckissick if he gets healthy and comes back that's an option and he has he has a young impressional quarterback that he can bring in as well one of the reasons why i think one might be skittish of bringing eric Bieniemy in is that that would mean a new offensive system for sam howell in year two if Bieniemy only stays one year or you blow up the coaching staff that would be a, a third one in three years and that doesn't include his senior year of college where he had a different offensive system as well but 
the Burgundy and Gold could do a lot worse than bring in someone of Eric Bieniemy's character, of Eric Bieniemy's uh, uh, accomplishments in the game. So if they're able to get him here, more power to them. And if it's just one year, well, you know what? Let's see what we can do with uh, the offense that he brings in and, and the I've tweaks that people, he does. And I've heard people say that uh, he's going to come in and uh, they're going to pass more than Ron Rivera likes. But Eric Bieniemy, I'm old enough to remember when Eric Bieniemy was a running back in the NFL. His he came into the league as a coach as a running backs coach. So I can't imagine that a guy with that background is going to come in and then try to chuck it all over the yard with what is essentially a rookie quarterback, George. Yeah, I mean, and and the head coach sets the tone. Like, it's his philosophy. If he wants to run the ball two to one, then then you're going to have to do that or you're not going to have to get the job. I mean, it's that's just the way it goes. I mean, it's if if that's, in fact, what Ron and Martin want to do, which I still have a hard time believing. But, uh, yeah, I mean, if either you're not going to fall in line or you're not, you're going to be out of a job. But as far as the Sam Howell thing and, and a different system and year two, year three, look, as far as I'm concerned, this year, you play for this year. I mean, after who knows what's going to happen as far as if new owners come in. I mean, who's your quarterback going to be? You can have a new coach who's not going to want Sam Howe. You got just so many things. I hear what you're saying, Dave, but if and if it were all things be equal and you know, you're going to be in this spot for a while, maybe, but I don't think you can look at that moving past this year. You know what I mean? Like, you can't just say, well, wait a minute, this doesn't work out. Sam Howe's got another option, another system coming up. Well, Sam Howe may not be here. Nobody maybe so. Oh man, I know. thought we were building around this guy. Well, we oh. we might. They may not want to <laughs> get him one oh. of your hats. Hey, You're right. So you mentioned George that they've talked to eight different coordinators. So let's say Eric Bieniemy says, "You know what? This job is beneath me, or I don't like the." Because we actually saw this with uh, Brian Flores, where he was mm-hmm. in the mix for the head coaching job in Arizona. And he said, I got a gut feeling that this ain't a good spot. So I took a defensive coordinator gig in Minnesota. What if the enemy does the same thing, comes to has the interview, he's like, yeah, I don't like these 1974 facilities you guys got here in Ashburn. And I don't like the vibe here. And it feels like everybody knows that they're about to get blown out. And yeah. I want to take my talents elsewhere. Then where do you, where, where where does that leave them? I think Pat Shermer is the best of the lot that they've spoken to because that's why I said it. I agree with right. that. Yeah. yeah, he's got a history of developing younger quarterbacks, and he has ties to Ron Rivera from their time together in Philadelphia. As does Eric Bieniemy. The tail end of his playing career, he was in Philadelphia when they were on staff there. So, um, so I would say Pat Shermer might be the 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 best available if uh, if Bieniemy is not the guy. I still think Bieniemy's the number one guy. I think Pat Shermer would be a close second and Greg Roman only if he can bring <laughs> only if he can bring Lamar Jackson with him. That's the only way. I mean, and and, and I don't know how Greg Roman could possibly be a fit because there's talk around the league that basically receivers don't want to be in Baltimore because that offense deal yeah. as a receiver so much. What's the strongest position Washington has? It's right. the wide receiver position. So and punter. Yeah, well, that too. But <laughs> which, if Greg Roman comes here, maybe we'll see Tress way a lot more. Who I mean, knows? You, you almost definitely will. But I mean, for a guy who, uh, you know, for a coach that wants to run it two to one ratio, like Ron Rivera said he wants to, Greg Roman certainly fits that bill. But again, I don't know that he has the same tools here that uh, that he had in Baltimore. Yeah, and look, the um, and to your point about um, about him being the top like choice, I think he's obviously the top choice. They waited yeah. for him to talk to him. Like if they if they thought that 
you know, Roman was a top choice or Shermer, then they would have made this hire two, three weeks ago when they could have done it. So and also I, I think, think it's interesting to that point real quick. The I, I think it's interesting because Baltimore was another team that was tied to wanting to yeah. talk to the enemy. And then right at the point where he's available, they hired Todd Monken, who's just like, I'm like, he's a meh hire. Yeah. And yeah. I don't, they didn't even talk there. Right. EB. Yeah. Yeah. I think obviously he's the top choice. I, I find it hard to believe that it's not his if he if he wants it. And I know. think, you know, he'll he'll have an opportunity if, you know, things do arise. He I think from the moment that the coordinator position opened up, he was our ordained uh, leader in the clubhouse as far as the dream hire. You know, who would you most like to bring in? Unfortunately, the way that the this team has run itself over the last 20 plus years, we often get the second, third, or even fourth, you know, choice. We Jim Zorn was hired as a head coach by this <laughs> franchise at one point, and at no point was he on the shopping list for who we would like to see in that role. And I think that yeah, one has the why that was. Yeah, <laughs> one one feels that uh, there's a very good chance to be underwhelmed, but I think that you had uh, you as an organization you had to hold out for the superstar coordinator, Eric Bieniemy, because you know, this offense did need some flash this past season. Regardless who of who was playing quarterback, you needed a little bit more zip, a little bit more imagination. Some of that was the fact that Scott Turner was maybe promoted a little too soon beyond his skill set uh, from cor- from passing game coordinator or quarterbacks coach or whatever the heck he was for six games down in Carolina to running a whole offense here. And so if they do regardless of who they bring in in barring a disaster they will bring in someone who does have the uh does have the has made his bones as a coordinator in the NFL and can bring a little bit of zip to what was a very bland offense at times this past fall absolutely and uh and I just have to say this I mean uh Eric Bannemi would be great to get him here um, and I, I think it would be a good fit, but this man should have been a head coach five yeah. years ago based on what they've done in Kansas City, based on what he's been at the helm of. That it, We just watched the Super Bowl in which the offense scored on every single possession out of halftime. You're talking about halftime adjustments. You're talking about, um, you know, uh, being able to uh, – uh, you know, put the offense in the best position possible to to win you a football game. I mean, all of that happened. All of that happened. And yes, Patrick Mahomes is brilliant. And yes, Andy Reid is a terrific head coach, one of the greatest to do it. But let's not act like Eric Bieniemy sitting on the sidelines sipping Mai Tais while this is happening. This is not, <laughs> he's not a bystander for this. And the NFL is treating him like he is. And that's the thing that's driving me crazy. And I just wrote this column for WTOP.com. Yeah. And I've written this column, I swear to God, 12 times over the course of the almost 12 years that I've worked here. And every single hiring cycle, there is some sort of egregious hire. And we just saw the last two jobs filled by the losing coordinators from the Super Bowl. I just told you that uh, the enemy's offense scored on every possession in the second half on Gannon's defense. And he gets the head coaching job in Arizona. Now, it, it boggles my mind. It boggles my mind. And if you want to take the enemy out of the equation, you can uh, for whatever. He had some uh, some character stuff maybe uh, when he was in college and on the front end of his career. I get that. But we've seen white coaches get hired with that same 
um, with some of those same questions right. in, in, in character and same questions in uh, production and, and all of that. So, you know, you want to take him out of the equation, fine. Steve Wilkes should have gotten the Carolina Panthers gig. And I think the other thing that has to be said is just because uh, they're hiring white coaches, uh, some of these guys work out. So it's not that they're bad hires. I think Frank Reich is a great hire. I think he's a terrific hire. He just didn't deserve to get that job over somebody who literally won as many games in only 12 tries as his predecessor did in two and a half seasons. Think about that. With the same roster, no training camp, he did that. And so that's what drives me crazy is that there are uh, competent and uh, and deserving coaches who are getting passed over for reasons that do not make a lick of sense. So I'm tired of writing a column, and you can just say, well, don't write the column. I mean, I'm not the one who put the race card in the deck, okay? Me pointing it out doesn't mean that I'm creating this issue. The issue exists. And it needs to be spoken on until it is fixed. And the NFL, it, it's just, it, it's led by cowards because they haven't fixed it yet. And I think what's unfortunate is that I thought that we were beyond this. I remember when Art Shell became the first African-American head coach in the NFL. I remember when Tony Dungy, after not getting bites at the apple, probably, you know, two or three years uh, in a row, finally got his chance in Tampa Bay and then was able to win a Super Bowl in Indianapolis uh, and a game where uh, they beat the Bears coached by Lovey Smith. And mm-hmm. one thought that, you know, 10, 15 years ago that, I'm not saying that at that in 2006, 2007, I thought that the league would have 16 African American coaches, but I thought there'd be a lot more than there are right now. I thought there needs there'd to be, be more than three. I right. mean, that's I, the thing, and nobody's yeah. saying that it needs to be because it's. I mean, the the league in terms of the players, right. you're talking probably about two thirds black. Nobody's saying two thirds of the coaches in the league need to be black, but it needs no. to be more than three, and, and it, it should be closer yeah. to 50 percent than it is. And it just it feels like with a lot of the hires and the two of the hires that were very uninspiring out of the gate actually turned out to be okay relatively. Nick Sirianni gave one of the worst press conferences since Jim Zorn was hired in Washington. And Dan Campbell made you seriously consider the well-being of him and his team. And both of them in just two years, both of them played well. So you don't. So for those who say that some of these coaches like a, a Byron Leftwich or a Steve Wilkes, they don't interview well. Well, you know what? Guys who were absolutely, you know, just abominations as interviews, as press conference guys, were able to turn things around within two years. So it's it's the unfortunate story that won't leave the room in the NFL. And until there's actual change, we're going to be having the same conversation next year, I hate to, you know, say. Yeah, and then and then uh, and it's not even unique to the NFL because Kevin Sumlin just landed at Maryland. That man should be a head coach. Right. He should still be a head coach. And I know things didn't go well for him in Arizona. You probably watched it a little closer than I did, Dave. But uh, I know things didn't go well for him in Arizona. But what he did at Texas A&M is actually a, a smidge better than what you're seeing out of Jimbo Fisher. And that man keeps getting paid more and more money on top yeah. of money. So, you need you, hey, you need uh, a hey, key is in this world you need to get a good agent. That's 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 first and foremost. And I'll take and, Sumlin and though. Be the right complexion. Yeah, I'll take Sumlin in College Parks. Just watch your mouth. That'll be fun. <laughs> I mean, That'll be fun to that, see. And that's what I'm saying. That's going to be that. That's a terrific get for Maryland. Yeah. 
but it's a get that shouldn't be available. It's the same thing as uh, Eric Bieniemy. It's a great get for Washington if they can pull it, but he shouldn't be available. He should be running his own team. Um, uh, we're going to pivot uh, quickly to the uh, Nationals in what is, I'm going to go ahead and say it, guys, this is the least anticipated Nationals season ever. We're going into, what is this, the 19th uh, spring training for the Nationals in their uh, history. Um, I, I, I can't remember a time where there was less juice surrounding this team. And then the biggest news is Steven Strasburg, to the surprise of no one, had a setback with his uh, uh, thoracic surgery. And uh, he's and they're using the, the, the term shutdown yep. again, which is one that you don't want to hear uh, associated with that player in particular. So he won the uh, MVP of the World Series in 2019. Since then, guys, eight games, 31 and a third innings. That's all you've gotten from him. I mean, yeah, it's sad. he's got, he's you got, know. He's got yeah. even if he doesn't retire, he's 34 years old. Even if he doesn't retire, he's got to be done as a national, right? I think he's going to – well, with the – with the, uh, I guess, with the street cred that he's built with the team, with the organization, they're gonna and they're paying him anyways. They're gonna I mean, let yeah, him trot him. himself because unlike football, where you can cut a guy and get some of the yeah. money back, or even in hockey, baseball, you're paying that regardless of whether you know, uh, unless there's some unforeseen circumstance, you know, where he's. He runs off to Europe or something like that, but uh, and and even then, I think the union would still get him his money. But uh, I think, yeah, I think that he's going to try to do whatever he can to pitch. But what is uh, what makes this such an absolutely bad deal? This is the worst case scenario. This is worse than the worst case scenario. When he signed, my worst case scenario was okay. Maybe he 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 wins ten games in twenty twenty. Uh, maybe he wins. 15 games combined between 21 and 22, thinking of those as full seasons, not the 60-game mess that we had a few years ago. And then maybe once once they get to year four and five, maybe his you know he has issues and he goes off the rails then. No, the worst-case scenario for years five, six, and seven, we got in one, two, and three. And, <laughs> and you can only go – you can only get worse from there. And what really hurts is that uh, they put all their eggs into the Strasburg and Corbin baskets a few years ago, mm-hmm. a long term. And for a team that's built on pitching, the worst ERA for starters in the entire majors, 5.97. Just r- for that to happen, and that's one of the reasons why they wound up deciding to blow up the team at this time. But unfortunately, while they try to reboot or quickly revamp this uh, Nationals team back to a playoff contender, you've really broken some hearts by trading away a fantastic player in Trey Turner and a generational player in Juan Soto. And yes, you're getting prospects back, but you know the you're you you've lost something with your fans who now the 2019 season it's like did did it really happen where there's no question for Caps fans that, yes, the 2018 Cup run happened because you can still go to games and see Nicholas Backstrom, even though he's hobbled. Tom Wilson, even though he's injured half the time. T.J. Oshie, even though he's older. Uh, you know, Alex Ovechkin is still producing at a high level, and even if he wasn't, he'd still be with the team, so you can still extend those memories. From 2019, you got, oh, Patrick Corbin, who is leading the league in losses a couple years in a row. So it's, right. it, it, it's very unfortunate that as – Rob, you mentioned you're absolutely right. 
Very little buzz surrounding the Nats this season in spring training. I mean, they they lost when you traded Juan Soto. You've given me no reason to care. They're my job. Period. Yeah. So I mean, you traded away Juan Soto. Why? What? The, the, give Give me one reason to care. Uh, C.J. Abrams. He's going to get good, and then you're going to trade him. So no, and then you still got what, the ownership what, situation. Well, they, yeah, now are they going to? Yeah. You know, Ted Lerner wanted to sell the team. Are they going to do it? Still, who knows? Right. And and we should uh, take time out to, you know, offer condolences to the Lerner family, Ted Lerner passing away this week. And so uh, that does put the franchise in a pretty murky situation yeah. because, yeah, he wanted to sell the team. But, you know, what what is what is the family going to right. going to do about that? So what uh, a pretty also, cool uh, life. Uh, he was an usher at the old Griffith yeah. Stadium for some bad na- uh, senators teams. Winds yeah. up buying the team world champion at the end. Yeah, you know, kind of cool. Just saw the alert also that Tim McCarver passed away. Mm. Oh boy, so sad to hear. Eighty-one years uh, old. Yeah, yeah. Um, obviously, condolences to that family as well. Uh, Dave Preston's going to close us out on uh, some Maryland women's basketball. Yes, their final, yeah. yeah, final game uh, at home for the Maryland women next Tuesday. They take on a team that's ranked number seven right now, Iowa. Caitlin Clark, uh, easily a play, a national player of the year candidate, let alone the Big Ten. Maryland lost by 14 in Iowa City a couple of weeks ago. Uh, revenge is a dish best served cold, and it's a, a chance to see the Terps play Iowa. Maryland is a team that I could see anywhere from flaming out in the Big Ten tournament and losing in the first weekend to contending for a Final Four berth and playing in the Big Ten championship game. There is This is not a traditional powerhouse team. They don't have that athletic four that Brenda Fries is known for bringing in from Laura Harper to an Alyssa Thomas to even a Marissa Coleman uh, to even uh, you know Chloe Bibby who played well in the last couple of teams for yes I love the bobblehead yeah so, great chance to see some very high level basketball in, in the district and and along those lines I'll even though I don't think we're going to have everyone in the area make the tournament this year, everybody's playing so much better than they were last year. So that's oh, yeah. t- with with maybe one or two exceptions. So, but it's uh, especially it, it, Howard. Shout out yeah. Howard. That was this was, week's Beltway basketball beat. Beltway basketball beat exactly. And also shout out Caitlin Clark. She is. I'm going to start calling her the equal opportunity employer because every team in mm-hmm. women's basketball can get that work. All right, guys, uh, we did good work here today. It was another edition of the D.C. Sports Huddle, sponsored by MGM National Harbor. For the latest in Washington sports, visit MGM National Harbor and experience a sports fan's paradise. The king of the tri-corner hat, Dave Preston, bringing that mess back. uh, And uh, it was free, and he still overpaid for it. George Wallace uh, signing off. And I am Rob Woodfork, uh, once again, breaking the huddle.